You're listening to Pastor Greg Voorhees, recorded at Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church, Sunday, April 23rd, 2023. For more information about SVBC, you can visit their website, svbcfamily.com, or find them on all things social, at svbcfamily. What we're going to be talking about today is the road to Emmaus, on the road with Jesus. Why are we talking about this? You know, why did we talk about what we talked about last week, and why are we talking about this? The stuff that we're looking at right now, coming off of the kind of the, the cusp of Easter, last week was something we looked at, was something that occurred after the resurrection, but before the ascension. Well, that's kind of what we're doing now. We're going to look at a story called, that we call the road to Emmaus. It, well, let's just dig right into it. Luke 24, if, if, you, if you follow along with your Bible, Luke 24, 13 through 35. The first three verses of it go like this. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. It's the road to Emmaus. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. What are they talking about? The crucifixion. And as we'll see here shortly, the crucifixion and some stories about this Jesus guy might, they're trying to say he's alive. They were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. They were kept from recognizing him. So we got a little bit of a supernatural thing going on here. Because God, odds are they knew what Jesus looked like. You know, they were, they were talking about everything that happened. I'm sure they saw what happened. They might have, you know, apparently, as we've seen a little bit, they heard the stories about an empty tomb, you know. So they were somehow connected with, and we see like, even after that, they go to the 11. You know, so these were connected folks, so they would have known Jesus. But it was kind of, it was kind of hidden from them that, that this was him. I often wonder, how often does that happen in our lives? How often are we walking down a road to anywhere in our life, and maybe Jesus is in the middle of this, this situation or this road with us, and we just don't recognize that he's in the middle of it? I would say that it happens probably every day. Jesus is very interested in your life. He was so interested in your life that he died so that you could be with him. That says that he's more than just casually interested in your life. He's very interested in your life. So I think many times we travel roads and we walk with God and we just don't even see it. You know, we even, we've seen elsewhere in the Bible, sometimes we entertain angels that we don't know. You know so who knows? And I've heard, I mean, I heard this one wild story. It was a guy who went, when I was a teenager, he said that he was in this alley and this, this guy was getting ready to rob him and this big dude like showed up and, and he like picked this other guy, this guy that was going to rob him up and, and he let him go and the guy ran off and my friend that went, went to Fellowship Church with the brother, he said, I went to thank him and he was gone. He's like, poof, he was gone. Was he an angel? I have no idea. But I know strange things happen, and God intervenes in ways in our lives that we just don't get sometimes. 
I think he intervenes in their lives all the time in ways we just don't get. And I've said this many, 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 many times, but I'm going to keep saying it because it's very true. How often have you gone down the road and gotten held up by some traffic thing that you may have been, if, if you weren't running a little late, you would have been in that crash? You know, who, who knows? How, how often do you just, just go about your business and, 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 and dangers because the devil is looking to still kill and destroy? You are on his kill list. So I guarantee you it's just as interested in that God is in you and keeping you safe. The devil is just as interested in taking you out. So let me tell you what. I'm not giving any glory to the devil because he's just a piece of nothing trash compared to my God. However, without my God, I can't compete with this guy. Satan, if without God, I cannot compete with Satan. This is, this is a cat that, that convinced a third of God's angels that he could overthrow God. God created him in such a way that he had brilliance and authority and power, but he wanted it all. So compare that to little old me, I don't compete. But greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. When I walk out of this building and go home and I make it to where I'm going, it's because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I promise you, Satan tries to take you out 24-7. The only reason you're here is because of my God. The only reason. So, so often, so often, God walks with us on our roads to Emmaus, and we just don't even realize it. I have no idea. Yeah, I'm advancing this. So Jesus asked him. <laughs> I love one of the probably one of the things that, that just tickles me about God's sense of humor is he is the master of the rhetorical question. If you read the Bible, God asks people questions all the time that he absolutely knows the answer to. My, right from the get-go, Adam and Eve eats the fruit of, of the knowledge of good and evil. He's walking in, he's walking in the, uh, the, 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 the garden, they hear him, they hide because they realize they're naked, and he's like, hey, where are you guys at? <laughs> you knew where they were. They're like, well, we, we ran and we hid because we were naked. What's the next rhetorical question? Well, how did you know you were naked? You think God didn't know? He is, he is the master. I, talk about the, I was talking about this at the wedding yesterday. There was a guy that was married, to, or he was connected with the, the groom in some way, a Vietnam vet guy, and we were talking about Job. I said, one of my favorite things in the Old Testament is the book of Job. The, the, Job asked God a question, and he never directly answers him. He answers him with 66 rhetorical questions. Well, who knows where the, the spring is from which the oceans flow. Well, who can take the Leviathan and put it on a hook? He just asked Job all these questions to basically say, you don't know who you're dealing with here. You know, I am the guy that knows all of the answers, but he loves these rhetorical questions. And it's so funny when I look at them, God just tickles me with these things. So here's Jesus again. He asks him, what are you all discussing together as you walk along? You don't think he knew? 
And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, they, I'm assuming this is Clopius or Clopus, <laughs> asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What's Jesus saying now? Well, what things? <laughs> oh my goodness. He just tickles my heart. What are y'all talking about? Haven't you heard these things? Well, what things are you talking about? He asked. And they responded about Jesus of Nazareth. They replied, He was a prophet, powerful, and more. Stop there for a second. Was Jesus, was he a, was he a prophet? What is a prophet? A prophet is somebody who speaks the words of God. He did that a lot in many super, supernatural ways. So he was a prophet, even though he was so much more. That was a piece of what he was, is. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all people. The chief priests and their rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Israel. Eric's, Eric's, Eric Burstock is one of these guys, when he says stuff, it sticks in my head. Israel. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, that dude messes my head. We thought that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. Let's, let's, let's think about this for a second. We had hoped. I've also been talking a lot lately about what, what happens when Jesus doesn't meet our expectations. Does it mean that he's failed? No, it just means that he's failed to do what we thought he should do. So what was the Hebrew expectation of the Messiah? That he was going to be this dude that showed up, and he was going to redeem or purchase them back and to free them. And in their context, what was the thing that they were hoping to be freed from? Rome. So these guys are walking along, they're talking to Jesus about Jesus, not having any idea. And they were downcast. Downcast. And so we had hoped he was the one. We hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. Well, guess what, church? He did. Not in the way that we thought that he was going to. Not in the way that the, that the rabbis and, and the Pharisees were probably describing to their people. Because it, it, it seemed to be this, this common belief. Not just a, just not, not a shallow here and there. It seemed to have been a common belief that, that Messiah was going to come and be a man of war. And he was going to free them from their oppressors. Well, here's the thing. They were half right. He was a man of war. But he wasn't fighting Rome. He was fighting the devil. He wasn't buying them back from Rome. He was paying the price and freeing us from the devil himself. We gave ourselves over. That was the thing with Adam and Eve, the whole taking the fruit. When we rebelled against God, we essentially handed the, kings, the keys to the, to the kingdom of the world. We handed them over to the devil. Well, well Jesus took us back. 
Jesus redeemed Israel and all of us who believe in him. He did exactly what he said the scripture said he would do. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. It it keeps getting better. In addition, some of the women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. Actually, let's stop, let's talk let's talk about that for a second. First, in the let's let's keep the story going here. So they saw and they got what happened to Jesus. They were there. They saw and they got what happened. So now they're saying there's these women that were just kind of like blowing their mind. They said they went to the tomb and he wasn't there. You know, one of the, one of the, the explanations that people try to discredit the, 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 the rising of Christ was that, well, they went to the wrong tomb. How stupid do you think they were? How stupid? Is Jerusalem was not that big of a place. It's not like it was New York City and had graveyards all over the place. It's not that big of a place. Actually, it is now. <laughs> Wasn't that big of a place? That when something as traumatic as what happened, and after they took the dead body of Messiah down, and they put him in a tomb not far away, are they going to forget in three days where they put him? How stupid is that? Well, that's, that's, that's modern philosophy, <laughs> trying, to, trying to say that it didn't happen. How stupid do you think these folks were? They knew what the tomb was, but these guys walking along, they're like, I just don't get it. They said that he wasn't, his body wasn't at the tomb. And they came and told us, again, this shows the connection. These two, whoever they were, they were there, they came to tell us that what they had seen in a vision of angels who said he was alive. So pick, here's, let's think about this. Let's go back. They were downcast, but they had heard the gospel. What is the gospel? The good news that there is an empty tomb and angels said, he has risen. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's no longer here. He rose just like he said. But they were downcast. What does that tell you? They didn't believe it. They probably didn't believe it. It was a big tail to probably swallow. It was probably probably a, a, a story that would have been pretty hard to believe. I saw him be tortured by the Romans. I saw them flog him. I saw them punch him. I saw them put nails in his his hands, in his feet, in the crown of thorns. I saw saw his dead body. How are you going to tell me that you went into a tomb, he wasn't there, and some angel told you he was alive? The only way you could be downcast is if you didn't believe it. Because I would have been a little excited. I would have been a little excited. 
I don't live like it all the time, but let me tell you what, almost 2,000 years later, I'm still excited that he's no longer in the tomb. How could they be downcast? Maybe it was, even if they maybe possibly bought the story, maybe they were downcast because maybe he didn't meet their expectations. I thought he was going to free us from Rome. I don't know. The only way you know is to find these guys and when you get to heaven say, what was the deal? You, you, you know, but there was a part of this. I don't know how you could be anything but joyful to hear that, that, that he was alive. Then some of her companions went to the tomb and found just as the woman had said. But they did not see Jesus. They were, they were validating the story. So again, how does... How can they be downcast? I know I talked about this on Good Friday. But I promise you that if Jesus was dead and he was in that tomb, there was no group of Hebrews, probably not even the zealots, who could have stolen that body from the Roman Empire. Now let me tell you what, the zealots were scary dudes. They were good at what they did. But for there to be an open tomb and people going to and fro, looking inside this tomb and seeing Jesus was gone, let me tell you what, they couldn't have done it if it wasn't true. Rome would have squashed that thing. My guess, and this is just a guess, if I was Rome, I would have tried to roll the thing back. <laughs> Say, no, he's still in there. Can you almost imagine, we talk about the stone, the, the, the stone being rolled away, could you imagine being in the tomb when Jesus came back to life? I can picture that stone not just rolling. Away. Boom! I mean, I can picture that thing being, whoa! I don't think there was any question about whether he was in there. I could picture, I could picture coming there and saying, why, why is it, that's that stone over there? Here's a, he's not in there. But how could you be downcast? They validated the story. He wasn't there. Rome, my guess, probably would have also heavily guarded that tomb. They didn't want no, they didn't want a Messiah showing up on their doorstep. They didn't want the Hebrews to have hope. They didn't want the, the Hebrews to believe in anything but their might. Jesus bucked the system. Probably one of the most powerful empires that, that ever existed in a place where it was illegal to even worship in a way that was. He shows up. They kill him, and boom, he steps out of the grave. There's no way in the world that it couldn't be true. There's no way Rome would have squashed it. Rome had the ability to squash it, but they didn't. But these guys were still downcast. The light just clicked on. I had no idea what I was talking about what I was talking about earlier. <laughs> I've said in the past, sometimes I'm just as surprised what comes out of my mouth up here as you guys are. We so often make God small. Even though these two guys had heard he had done something big, and that Jesus had done the impossible, and they even validated the story, and they couldn't discredit it. 
they still made him small. They were downcast. They made him small. How often are we the two guys on the road to Emmaus where we've been to church our entire lives and heard about the crazy, awesome things God has done, read the Bible and saw the crazy, awesome things God's done, but when we're walking that road, we make him so small that we're downcast. We're downcast in the time where we should be joyous. I've never really thought about it. I'm one of those guys so often. (laughs) I am. Jesus is walking with me. And so often I get downcast because I make him so small when you can't contain who he is. They didn't see Jesus. Jesus kind of set them in their place. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Well, that probably just answers their question. Why are they so down? They didn't believe it. Why are you so slow to believe? All the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what he said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I've had this discussion many, many times, even here. Back to the future. The professor showed up in, in the DeLorean and said, okay, I'm going to take you back any place you want to go. Where do you want to go? You know, I, this is where I would want to go. I would want to hear this discussion between Jesus and these two dudes. You know, most people, when I ask that question, like, oh, I'd like to see the Sermon on the Mount. I get that. I'm not going to argue that. That'd be a really cool thing to see because in the Sermon on the Mount, he made very complicated things and the very simple things. He, he, he explained it the way it was intended to, to, to be what it was meant to be. Why is this so important to me? Everybody here that's been around me for any period of time, I'm an Old Testament guy. I love the Old Testament. Love the Old Testament. If you could, if these guys had written this down, could you imagine to see Jesus himself pointing out where everything that had to do with Moses all the way through the prophets, how it all pointed to him? That would have been a book I would bought, have copies, and be handing it out to everybody. I would have loved to have been a fly on that wall. Let me tell you what. I think if we could find that book, the people of Israel, there would be an awakening like we've never seen about the fact that Jesus is Messiah if it was laid out so plainly, and you can't argue the, the you can't argue the logic of Christ, if they could see Jesus talking about himself and how it all pointed to him and how it couldn't be anybody but him, could you imagine the awakening about who Messiah is amongst the Jewish people? That would just be, I'd be handing out, oh my goodness, I'd be out in the synagogue. Hey, here's this book. You know, the funny thing is, though, if we found it, it wouldn't make the Bible. New Testament canonization, the right to be in the Bible, 
in the New Testament, you had to be written by an apostle or somebody firsthand connected with an apostle. So this, this crazy, awesome sermon probably wouldn't even made the Bible. <laughs> the whole Old Testament, it points to Christ. It points to Christ. This just keeps getting better. So as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if they were going farther. You know, so they're, they're stopping off, and Jesus, he just, he just keep on walking. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. This, this part blows my mind. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. You want to talk about a mind blow. You know, first of all, you're having this conversation. You're talking to Jesus. Don't even know you're talking to Jesus. He breaks bread, and all of a sudden, hey, you realize you've been talking to Jesus the whole time. And poof, he's gone. Hindsight's always 2020, though. There have been things in my life that when I was going through it, I didn't see where God was in it. Didn't see it. Because just like these two guys on the road to Emmaus, sometimes it is impossible, whether by some supernatural thing or because I'm so wrapped up in myself and how my situation is affecting me, that sometimes it's so easy not to see Jesus is on the road with me. And that everything that's going on, it's going on for a purpose. Do you realize that everything that happens to you Jesus has the ability to make it into a good thing. He does. All things work for the good. Not all things are good. doesn't say that. All things work for the good for those who love Jesus and are called according to his purpose. So when we walk in these places, when we're going through these things, if we're going through a financial stress, if we're going through a job stress, if we're going through a family stress, if we're going through a stress stress, it doesn't matter what it is, God is there with you, just like Jesus was with these two guys walking to Emmaus. And so often we don't see it just like they didn't see it. But it's so easy sometimes to look back, just like these guys, after their eyes were open, and say, oh yeah, he was there the whole time. He was there the whole time. What's that footprint thing? I was walking along, me and Jesus, two sets of prints. I stopped. I looked back. There was a time there was only one set. It's like, Jesus, why'd you leave me? He said, I didn't leave you. I was carrying you. That is your relationship with Christ. You are not alone. You are not alone. I don't care if, if you've gotten into an argument with somebody in your church family and you're feeling a little bit, I do care, but follow me, and, but you feel that you're alone, perception is a scary thing. The reality is Jesus has not left you. Even if you feel isolated because of something that happened in the church, 
even if you feel isolated because of something that's happened in your family, even if you feel isolated because there's something that happened at your work, even if you feel isolated because your mind is busy, 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 and, 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 and it, it just won't stop on you, even if you feel isolated for any reason, God has not left you. Jesus said, I am with you even till the end of times. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God is on the road with you. Jesus walks with you. The Holy Spirit, you can't get away from the Holy Spirit. You can't. If you're a believer, he's with you. He's in you. You're, you're the tabernacle. You're the house. You're the thing that carries him. From point A to point B, you can't get away. Well, what's David say about this? Even before the Holy Spirit came. You know what? If I went to the highest mountain, guess what? You're there. If I went to the lowest part of the world, bottom of the ocean, guess what? He's there. What, what about old Jonah? Well, if I can get to Tarshish, maybe I, I can get away from God. It, he can't get away from God. Even when you feel alone, when you feel isolated, even when you feel that nothing's going right, you are not alone. He's walking with you just like he did these two guys on the road to Emmaus. You might not see it just like they didn't see it. It doesn't change the reality, the fact that he's still with you. And I just pray that someday like them you get to see the fact that what I'm saying is true. You can look back and say, yeah, Jesus was there. We make him so small, and we treat him like he goes on Shabbat and leaves us alone to our own devices. That is not true. Never leaves us, never forsakes us. He doesn't rest anymore. You know, the only time he, the only reason he rested after creation was to show you you needed to rest. It's not because he needed it. He's giving you an example. That's the cool thing about God. He leads by example. He doesn't ask you to do anything that he hasn't already done. That's the sign. That's the best sign of a good leader. He's not going to ask you to do a thing that he hasn't done himself. And God has done it. Continue on. We'll land this plane. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven. Remember, Jesus is gone now. He, he, and those with him assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and, and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told them what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Jesus is alive. Jesus has risen. Jesus walked on the earth even after, even after his crucifixion. And before, before he ascended, he promised you he was never going to leave you. After he left, he sent the Holy Spirit so that you would never be alone. He said, even though I'm going to go, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send somebody else. You will never be alone. Church, you are not alone. You are not alone. God is in it. I promise you. Here's the thing that really stinks about bivocational work. Is I don't know a fraction of the stories in this room that I would like to know. 
That's the thing that stinks about having two jobs, is I would love to be able to sit down with every one of you and hear your story. But, but it's like, so I don't know the, these pieces of this puzzle. But I can assure you that many, many, many of you here are in a place that you're struggling with something, that you feel disconnected in some way, that you're in a, in a dark place where you wonder if the sun is ever going to shine again. I can assure you, why? Because there's nothing new under the sun. These are the things that we experience over and over and over in our lives. If you're not experiencing it now, God bless you because it's coming. But I can promise you that when you're alone and you don't feel like there's anybody else there, God is with you. He is with you. You are not alone. You are not alone, and he cares.